It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb and Eric. Listen in as your hosts discuss a variety of topics ranging from our favorite filmmakers, surrealist film, and our current thoughts on the MCU. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a horror movie guy. Um, I'm not a comedy movie guy in general. I don't, you know, I was just thinking about this before we started talking today. I was starting to think, am I even a sci-fi movie guy? I mean, it seems like I am in so many ways, but I, for most of my, like my whole adult life, consider myself a good movie guy and good movie, you know, could be any genre, any time period. So I always think that the movies that I like or that I really like that happen to be horror or comedy I always think it's because they're just good movies that happen to fall into the comedy genre or the uh, horror genre uh, that's what I always think I don't know because because yeah I do like a lot of sci-fi movies obviously but I, I don't just I do sometimes on Netflix but I don't just go oh it's a sci-fi movie I'm gonna watch it because obviously there's plenty that 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 don't pull me in or whatever so i don't know yeah i i I can't with sci-fi anymore (laughs) there's just so much just complete crap there is out there with sci-fi i mean it's the same with horror every once in a while there's an interesting one every now and then uh i don't even know if we're still in a podcast or not right now but um oh yeah i guess i can stop uh, recording hey yeah you're you're the master of the switches so do whatever you want uh, a recent one that we talked about on sci-fi party line a lot at the time i kept saying that like 2009 seemed like the revival like a little bit of a renaissance in sci-fi movies in general and uh there was a bunch of good ones in 2009 uh, but one of the ones that like i was like oh my gosh like someone is taking something familiar but yet making it feel new again and that was moon did you ever watch that one mm-hmm i was gonna share uh uh, Sean, what, what's it called? Should we watch on Netflix? I was going to share an article in there about the. Oh, I forgot that was one. Graphic novel sequel that they just. Yeah, I forgot. Oh, that was I forgot that was one of the early movies they did on that podcast. Yeah, uh, at the time I forgot when they did Moon. I just mentioned a lot to Sean through messages about the sequel. I can't even. Th- what's it called right now? I can't think of the name. Well, there's that quasi one that they did, Mute. Yeah, that's it. That's the one. That's the one. Oh sure. Yeah, that's the yeah, and I was a big fan of, of Moon in 2009. I was also a huge fan of District 9. Yes, that was the other big one. Of course, Avatar was the mainstream one that came out that year. Yeah, which I liked, but I was much bigger fan of District 9. But I was a big fan of both. Yeah, I thought there was going to be a huge revival <laughs> for sci-fi. There was, in a way. In a way. It, it, it made, uh, it made in a sci-fi way. relevant again, because before that year... 
you just had like the more mainstream like Star Treks of the world and um, and the Transformers, which I like all that stuff, but it's just it's not heady sci-fi or make you think. But no, because then there was others that that were interesting that came after the ones we we're talking about, even though it's like the same directors, uh, like Oblivion um, came after, and of course Oof. was Elysium. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, see, I saw all these, but I was so unimpressed. Uh, I guess there was kind of a revival. It's just I felt like a lot of them kind of... I thought Snowpiercer was pretty damn novel when it came out. Yep, and I was a giant Bong Joon-ho fan ever since Host, or The Host, I should say. Because I was such right. a monster I, movie I saw, guy. I started it, but didn't finish it. Oh, there was another one of that time period I was just thinking of. That was interesting. Oh, in a way... I would say Tron Legacy is a is a very underrated, overlooked sci-fi movie. Interesting in it in, in its own unique way. That I think that movie gets passed over. Definitely interesting. I, I'm not a huge fan of either Tron movies, but I love the score to that movie. But the movie itself, I was kind of like, eh. <laughs> that movie blew me. Yeah, absolutely. One of these days, because I don't. I need to do a Bergman with someone because even me and Sh- me and Sean have talked about it offline, but we've obviously never had an actual podcast discussion about it. And I had, other than some offline conversations, brief ones with Sean, I haven't been able to talk to anybody about that because I don't know anybody who watches <laughs> Bergman movies. I'd be happy to do it. I mean, I've been wanting to jump into that stuff for I don't even know how long. Yeah, and I'll say, and it, I'll say because I'll. When I start going through the set, it has a suggested viewing order, which is not chronological necessarily. And I have to say, like when I watched the first one or two or three that it suggested, like I, I, I like it didn't it didn't jump out at me right away. Like why is this person so brilliant? It wasn't until I got to like the fourth or fifth movie that they suggested. Like I was explaining this to Sean. Like if you just watch one individual Bergman movie, whatever one it is it might not necessarily blow you away on its own, whichever one it is, but it's when you watch a series of them and then you start to understand what motivates um, the filmmaker, Bergman in particular, you have to watch multiple of his movies and then you start to, like, have you seen a lot of uh, Hitchcock movies? Or I mean, at least like five or 10 of them. So you know when you watch Hitchcock movies, you've seen as many as you've had, you see how he repeats themes over and over again and I always I took it as like with Hitchcock is like he has these same themes that he's trying to explore he just keeps trying it a different way a different way a different way and then sometimes it just really comes together perfectly like Psycho or something like Psycho yeah or other times it just seems like a half-baked version of what he's going for or like with Nolan there's always something about a father or a missing father there's always that dysfunctional family thing in like in all the Wes Anderson movies but you get that from watching multiple of their movies and then Bergman when you start when you get to about five in six in whichever ones you choose then it starts you go oh I see what this guy he's obviously obsessed with XYZ and all his different movies and settings and and stories it's him constantly trying to explore these same themes over and over again and that's when it starts well for me it starts getting interesting because then you see it's like he's trying to explore his own personal philosophy, but he's doing it by making another movie, another movie. And, it, and it's like, he's trying to figure something out in life for himself. 
but his way of doing it is making another movie another movie yeah, that's what's super fun about going through director catalogs, especially in order. Just seeing the progression of all those things kind of developing. You know, the damn set has like 40 movies in it. It's insane. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that set's not available anymore, right? I had it on pre-order and then I had to cancel it. But No, no, I think it's still available because I, I definitely saw it again last holiday season. I definitely saw it. I'm pretty sure it's still gettable. Now it might be $150, but it's it's gettable and it is the premier like single item in my collection like it is definitely like if i could only keep one box set in physical form i would have to choose that one even though oh, wow <laughs> even though i don't think there's a single bergman movie that cracks my top 10 favorite movies but it's not about that it, like i said it's the sum of the work uh it's not necessarily an individual this one or that one oh that's fair but yeah definitely definitely future oh yeah i meant to ask <laughs> did you watch the most recent episode of wandavision absolutely i watched those day of can't i can't not why yeah it's been blowing up all in the my facebook groups that i'm in everyone pissed about that last episode with the uh the little end number just curious what you thought about that you mean you mean the you mean the reveal with agnes is that what you mean yeah i think a lot of people thought the musical number jumped the shark for some reason i'm not quite sure but wait i don't i wait musical number i the only music i can think of i remember is just how it has like that theme as if it was like the agatha show is that what we're talking yeah about? that for some reason uh pissed a lot of people off i guess <laughs> i was unaware of this controvert or this fan reaction out there i was not aware of that i was shocked yeah i was like oh it seems pretty in keeping with the rest of the show but no yeah it did to me it seemed fine i no no i just think it's just another good episode in a series that has far exceeded my expectations far 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 because as far as all the marvel shows that have been in the last 10 years um I didn't think anything could be more cinematic than the Daredevil series for, for Marvel shows. I didn't think anything could top that in look and cinematography. And even though WandaVision's totally different, you know, different style and everything, it surprisingly feels as cinematic or actually even more um, in a way. Because Daredevil is like a well-done like independent movie is, is the way it feels shot to me. But Wanda is like a just like a regular mainstream, like it could it could be a Marvel movie. Like it has that look of the MCU movies. It just has less action. It's, it's more talky. But mm-hmm. it because I don't know if you ever checked out like Agents of Shield or especially nope. um, Agent Carter. They had no. Nope. You never saw? Did you see Shield? Agents of Shield. No, I didn't check out either. Oh, well, they were both like this, except Agent Carter was worse in this way, which is they come across as totally being filmed like at Disney Studios, like in Southern California. And especially Agent Carter, because it's sort of like a period piece. Like, mm-hmm. it just feels like they're on one of those back lot, you know, dressed up to be 1950 you know, whatever, but it, it looks super fake. Like the neighborhood in, uh, what's that show? Um, 
Um, Desperate Housewives. Do you know what I mean? No, I never watched it. Um, oh, what's another thing? <laughs> but I get, I get you. Or the Truman Show. Yeah, I was singing Gremlins. Uh, Gremlins is amazing. It's just like the uh, classic, like Gremlins is amazing. Gremlins is amazing, but it's you look at the like when the cars are like smashing in the streets and it just looks like a back lot. Hmm. I have to think about that the next time I watch Gremlins because that one doesn't stick out to me as badly as all these ones I'm making. I watch it every every Christmas. So, <laughs> or another way to describe it would be like in Seinfeld when they're just supposed to be on some random New York street, but they're obviously not in real New York. Oh yeah. Or in classic Star Trek. When they go to like some civilization that's supposed to be similar to contemporary Earth, but again, you or if you've seen La La Land, like when they're going around yep. the like the, the Hollywood town, okay, that's how Agent Carter looks like it's over the top, all like constantly. And then Shield is like that, not as bad, but it's it's like that. And see, that was like such a turnoff for me with those MCU shows, um, but of course, Daredevil was different. Um, but WandaVision, it just, it looks like it has the same budget, like, it looks like the talking scenes in Captain Marvel or Guardians of the Galaxy, like, it looks like it's on the same level. Um, yeah, I was telling Isaac, because Isaac has this embargo where he's not watching any Marvel movies for 10 years, ever since, uh, (laughs) uh, Infinity War just pissed him off the end of it. Why did Infinity War piss him off? Uh, for whatever reason, he was convinced that it was all going to be um, just retconned and there wouldn't be any consequences. And to be fair, before WandaVision, I thought he was right. Well, who wants that, though? I mean, you, like, you may believe that, but why would you want that to come true? Well, I, I mean, I think in WandaVision it actually has shown consequences. I think there's been plenty of consequences post-Infinity War. Tons of consequences. Uh, at least, At least in terms of the movies, I felt like... It wasn't really consequential, especially in something like Far From Home, where they turned the blip into just like a, a joke. And I was kind of like, ah, oh, this is what it's going to be then, uh, whatever. Maybe in Far From Home, but it did not really feel like a joke. <laughs> like, in, in totality. Yeah. I mean, with everything that's, that's been... No, Infinity War was great. But me and Isaac were both big comic fans of uh, the Infinity Gauntlet, okay. and so we were both kind of let down with their take on Thanos. Okay, so yeah, so I'm not that familiar with the original source material at all, so I wasn't tainted in that way. But Infinity War was really good. It wasn't it wasn't the perfect Marvel movie, but it was Oh, but it was in the in the, in my in the conversation for my own personal faves. But then the bigger reason I care about Infinity War was because it was like such an amazing setup for the movie that I thought was even so much more amazing, which was Endgame. Because Endgame is the one that just completely blew me away uh, for what an MCU movie could be, what a comic book movie could be. Like, because generally speaking across the board, comic book movies, like, there's so much in that movie. There's so much packed into it. There's so much payoff for, like, the whole 21, 22 movies that preceded it. There's, There's... there's nothing comparable to that uh, that I can think of that that is so encompassing and like like it made all the other movies matter to some degree. Like th- there's just nothing like that, and and the fact that it all just came off the way it did, and it was like a time travel story, but it was 
more interesting than a typical time travel story. Yeah, best part of the movie. All the time travel stuff for me. God, like, God, for just entertainment value, popcorn movie, big budget, summer blockbuster, Endgame, like, delivered. And, like, because it's, like, the best thing in comic book movies unless you want to go the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight route, which, of course, I understand for anybody who wants to go that. But that's, like, that's, a, that's like, a different branch of goodness. Yeah, which I just rewatched, by the way first time since rises put me off when it came out originally but sorry that's derailing no 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 because (laughs) i always liked rise more than other people Mm -hmm. no it wasn't as good as dark knight but i was always a bit of an apologist even though it i didn't think that was the perfect movie either but maybe it's because i've been trying to force myself like i do with some movies like i feel like i should appreciate them more so i have forced myself to watch rise like once every two years or so since it came out. I mean, no, no. I mean, it's not like I hate it. I don't hate it. It's just it wouldn't be my first thing to choose, but I just do it anyway. That's what I do with Blade Runner. <sighs> no, Blade Runner's legit. Blade Runner's legit. Uh, um, it's not user-friendly for everyone, but that is a super legit movie. Um, and the, uh, the sequel, the newer sequel, I think is also one of the greatest movies of modern times love the sequel i've bought the original one so many times and i watched all the cuts multiple times trying to like that film because i love it visually but i just this the story and deckard's character i've always loved blade runner because i grew up with it but when the blu-ray came out whatever year that was it was by far one of the best looking blu-rays and then when the 4K came out, it's got to be the best looking 4K movie that's like pre-1997. Like, I don't think there's any better looking movie from the early years. And it just, that just took it to... Not even 2001? Oh, okay, that's... No, that, that one's better. But, <laughs> no, that one's more reference quality, pristine, perfect, amazing. But Blade Runner, it's in a different category because it has more like 80s special effects. Like they're they're doing way more. So it should be graded mm-hmm. a little bit differently. No, you're right. That's 2001 fair. is the greatest looking like classic celluloid movie. Yeah, that's in my top three. I saw that in IMAX when they put out the 4K. And it was just, yeah, it blew me out of my seat. I was just amazed. I should have watched that. But... I think I mentioned it to you before that I have, even though I love 2001 and Kubrick, of all the Kubrick movies, that's one of the most difficult for me to sit through start to finish. Like I have to, mm-hmm. I have to watch it. When I do watch it, I watch it like in 15 or 20 minute segments. I, I don't usually watch it all at once. I don't, uh, I don't know why I had that trouble with that movie of his of all. Are you much of a surrealist guy at all? I was just trying to think if I... Am I, am I a what guy? Surrealist guy? What would it define it? Like in this surrealist film? How would you define Because I know it's surreal, but give me some more examples of like surreal movies. Oh, surreal movies. Well, of course, there's Racerhead. Haven't seen, but it's on my list. It's one of the big ones. Um, yeah, I guess you can go through almost all the films by David Lynch. But yeah, there's Jodorowsky. There's uh, there's a great one that I watched recently. I need, I, I need to see more. I've never seen a full Jodorowsky movie. I've only seen the, the Dune uh, documentary. Oof. On him. Yeah, that's great. 
it's it's good and interesting but i agree with quinn's ideas that if he had ever actually made his version of the movie it probably would have been terrible uh, for dune it might have been an interesting movie in its own right but it i think it probably would have been terrible for dune like the book yeah at least like the david lynch one like it's worse in comparison because it kind of is like dune i think jodorowsky's dune would have been something so different you wouldn't even really think of it in the same way yeah it would yeah i think it'd be like very sort of psychedelic trippy late 70s stuff which could be its own little classic but it wouldn't be like dune dune um yeah um but why do you ask if i'm into serial surrealist type things is it well, at least for me, I think 2001 was kind of my entry into surrealist film, just because it's it's such like a different kind of mode that it operates in, where it's just a total mood piece. And then the last, I don't know, like maybe it's like 15, almost 20 minutes, where it's just like a total surrealist experience. So I just, I tend to think that people's uh, perception of that film usually comes down to whether they're big into surrealism or, I don't, or not. I know there's some surrealist movies I like, but it's not, it's not something I necessarily love nor hate. Um, but see, I kind of like watching Barry Lyndon in that kind of way. Like, and I only watched it for the first time like two or three years ago, Barry Lyndon. Um, but I like that movie more as just something to, to put on. Barry Lyndon is like listening to like a long symphony. Um, mm-hmm. And that's how the movie feels. Because it, because a lot of people find it dull and and not too much happens. There's always stuff happening, but it never feels like exciting. Um, except for a couple spots. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. But yeah. You can almost see it like just kind of the lines between movements and then it gets to really big crescendos and then it goes back for a little bit. Yes. And the way I was explaining it to um, Sean and he loved it when I explained it like this, because the reason I said it was like a symphony is because in the movie, like Barry's like going from one thing to the next to the next to the next and he's he's constantly like like his life is going down and then there's like a small little peak when things are looking good and then boom it goes down again and it, it kind of feels like like a musical motif that just keeps playing it's not exactly the same every time but it keeps calling back mm-hmm. to itself um and it goes through different moods even though it is like the same motif being played over and over um so yeah i really think of it in that kind of way um, and it's also very, because it, it, I'm always fascinated with anything that reminds me of um, um, Homer, the Odyssey, um, in that when we used to talk about Walking Dead a lot more on Sci-Fi Party Line, you know, I read the whole comic first and then I was watching it, of course, enjoying the show. And I always wondered personally and on podcasts, like, how does this comic and show continually stay interesting like in season five season six season seven um and it was something i was always trying to work out in my own mind like how was it able to do this that most shows aren't able to do and then i realized it was like like the the odyssey and and ulysses odysseus just like going through one adventure after another so it is almost like a serial so, you know, there's always a new thing over the horizon, uh, and that's how the comic is. That's how Walking Dead is. And then once I realized that, it all made sense to me uh, of how they could just keep perpetually doing it. 
and that's kind of like how Barry Lyndon's journey is, and it's also how um, uh, like Forrest Gump, which is another one of my all-time favorite movies. But how it, it's just like that movie's so interesting because it just when you're it, when just when you're about to get bored, it just throws something completely new at you. <laughs> oh, I always get bored with that movie. <laughs> what you get bored with Forrest Gump? I do, yeah, and I find it too schmaltzy. <laughs> it is on my list of all-time favorites. Um, I consider it my Thanksgiving movie uh, to try to watch once every year, even though I don't always watch it every Thanksgiving. But I, I like to, to try to watch it at least once every year. All the emotional bits always work the same way with me every time I watch it, like the way the director intended. And um, like I was telling Sean recently, I just randomly on YouTube, they suggested like a reaction video and it was some lady and all she does is she, she gets people to suggest movies she's never seen. Like, and then it was Forrest Gump and she's never seen it. And then she's just recording her live reactions while she's watching and she edits it down so that the video I watched was like an hour, no. Maybe it was like an, like an, it was over an hour. It was like an hour and 20 minutes of her editing. Oh, wow. Chronologically editing like her reactions to all the different scenes in the movie. And just me watching her reaction and hearing her talk about it. And like, you know, she's never seen it. So she's reacting to everything for the first time in the story. I was completely in tears for 50% of that whole YouTube video because she was responding to all the emotional bits the way you're supposed to and just hearing her talk about it i was in emotional sentimental tears like constantly and i wasn't even watching the actual movie i was just listening to her talk about it and react to it Mm -mm -mm. that was a good one but the last thing i'll say before we get on with it get on with business oh yeah we started (laughs) diverging when we were talking about uh, dark knight rises and yeah. <laughs> one of the reasons why it is really easy to watch at home, even though it's not the best, um, is because it's one of those 4K movies that, um, and because it's Nolan and he's obsessed with IMAX, it's one of the Ugh. 4K movies that presents itself as IMAX as, it, as possible at home. And there's a short list of discs that do that. Um, they're mostly Nolan, but there's a there's some other ones that aren't nolan and those are like some of my favorite discs just to watch even if the movie may not be the greatest because some other really good ones like this that get imaxy at home if you buy the right version is the second transformers movie um when it shows the imax bits which are mostly at the end of the movie it just looks absolutely stunning and another one is um star trek into darkness which is by far the most it's it's my last jedi of the of the new star trek trilogy uh like it's the most difficult for me to watch and i love the first and the third but the second is problematic as a star trek fan um it's a fair comparison but it is so good looking because it's imax 4k at home and it's so it it by far looks the best of the three actually last jedi is also the best looking of the new ones even though no, I Oof, disagree. Oh, I think Rise of Skywalker looks better at at moments. I should say. Well, okay, at moments, but but as a whole piece of art, 
I'm just talking about the visuals. Last Jedi is so much more consistent and like unified visually from start to finish. Because uh, obviously, Rian Johnson's going for all this red, but I think it works. Like throughout the whole movie, all the red is just. And then Rise goes blue, but um, but but Rise is a little bit more. I'm just visually, it's more of a poppy mainstream movie. Just visually, like let's just forget about the story and the screenplay and all the problems in the script. Um, visually, Last Jedi just looks. God, it, it looks so Kur- Kurosawa in space. Um, constantly, it's 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 visually visually stunning, uh, um, and then that's why I'm miffed about the Blade Runner sequel because I saw it in the IMAX version, and I'm so miffed that they didn't release that version for home because um, it, it doesn't ha- it doesn't have the punch on your home TV like the way it did in the IMAX, and I, I wish they had like release that IMAX version or whatever. Dunkirk's another one that blows you away in IMAX. Um, and of course, Interstellar. At home. I've never seen Dunkirk at home. I remember in the theater being really annoyed by all the color changes. I was always worried to revisit that one on the, the small screen. Um, how did you watch? Do you know what format you watched it in? Because I saw it. It was IMAX. I intentionally watched it in three different formats, I think, at the movies. I think I saw it IMAX first. And then I saw it um, on 70 millimeter celluloid, um, and then I think I, I think I saw maybe 30. Uh, I think I saw just regular digital, like regular plain Jane movie theater, because I wanted to compare yep. like all the different ones. IMAX, definitely because of you know the size and everything and the volume, that was definitely the key pros for that version. Um, but the the seventy millimeter, I didn't like, because you know seventy millimeter looks really squished and skinny. I'm not sure I've ever seen a movie in that format. Uh, well, if you buy like a, um, not consciously. There's certain movies on uh, if you get the Blu-ray or DVD, whatever. They're super squished like that. Um, like, I think Ten Commandments is one, but it, it's even more squished than seventy millimeter because it was like some obscene ratio. Um, I, um, I don't know. There's certain movies. Well, anyway, so the 70 millimeter, even though it's a bigger stock of film, obviously, um, they tend to be like super um, cinescope or whatever. Um, so, so it feels like so much is chopped off the top and the bottom, especially with something like Dunkirk. Especially after I had seen it IMAX, I felt like the whole top and bottom was chopped off. Uh, but that being said. Because it's celluloid, and we're all used to digital movies now, um, it's it's the colors, the saturation of the colors, that is by far like the selling point um, for that seventy millimeter version of that movie. It just it's like real film is like nature's HDR, because um, you know, mm-hmm. HDR is basically like the digitally simulated version of what we're going for with true life colors. And so the Dunkirk, oh, the 70 millimeter, the colorization was just, it made it seem more real, almost like you're watching documentary footage in a way. Um, Oh, okay. And I saw uh, uh, Hateful Eight also in 70 millimeter. Same effect is what I'm talking about. Like the colorization. It was also very. Roadshow. Yeah, 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 exactly. It was that. 
but it was also very squished. Like everything just feels like it's been chopped off the top and the bottom of the frame um, to make it feel extra wide, I guess. I mean, yeah. Um, but oh, those are so good. And <laughs> I wish um, they had done like a roadshow version of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Because it it's, it's made to look like it was on film. You know, and then that's how the that's how the 4K disc looks. It's so perfect because Tarantino is another one like Nolan who tries so hard to make everything like um, celluloid. Yeah, I was gonna say when you were talking about Wes Anderson and watching those movies, how it reminded you of so many things. I've been really big into exploitation this past year, and so much Tarantino is in those movies. You watch them, it's like, oh, that Tarantino grabbed that bit there. Which exploitation are you talking about? Oh, I started off 2020 by doing a big run-through of all the Jack Hill films. Um, and then I did a whole bunch of black exploitation right after I watched the uh, Jack Hill films. And so just, like, tons of stuff. Never seen Jack Hill, but I've seen a few black exploitation. But with movies, I guess, of that exploitation, whatever you want to call it, in general... Like, yeah, there's some that are really easy to watch, but then there's other... Like, I, I can get... It can be overwhelming. I mean, when you watch, oh, like, yeah. bad ones, um, uh, it, it can get overwhelming for me, where it's just, I can't do another one. Um, but that that's another one um, that was, like, indirectly influenced by, by the BBS box set. Um, there, there's a lot of... Uh, especially Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Tarantino obviously knows the BBS set just like Wes Anderson does. Um but he extracts what he extracts because you see a lot of Tarantinoisms out of those movies. Um, but in particular, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because um, because they you know that movie set in '69, so that's like right in the BBS era. Was I saying BTS? It's BBS, I think. Yeah, it was BBS. But yeah, you said BTS. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, and to the point that um, Tarantino in the opening Columbia credit see our titles what do you call it? yeah title sequence he that's the same one that the bbs movies had because they're of the same era and when they got bought by columbia so it's the exact oh, same cool uh, huh. opening title so it, so and 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 once upon a time in hollywood it takes place right in that time of bbs and it's 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 talking about the same themes because bbs was like the rise of the independent filmmakers when old hollywood was basically closing up and that's obviously what Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is all about as well. Oh! And one of the movies in the BBS box set, because I had, you know, except for two of them, I had never seen any of them. And this is one of the ones I'd never seen or heard of. And I was watching the movie and I was like, okay, I, I'm trying to give it away, which one it is or what, whatever. And I thought, okay, this is okay movie, it's okay movie. And then it just had this shocking ending sequence. And then right away, because you, you do not see it coming. Like, it, the, the whole movie completely changes in tone and everything at, at this moment. The climax. And then I was like, oh my god, there it is. This was Tarantino's inspiration for the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Because oh, interesting. he had to be directly referencing this movie I'm talking about from the set. And he just took that exact concept and just dialed it up to nine. But it has to be like a direct, like that had to be one of his direct inspirations to come up with that like unique ending for his movie. 
and it's right like you see the proto example right there in the bbs set huh interesting it's super interesting all right i don't want to delay you more plus there's some other things i want to try to do after sure. we finish today so let's get this show on the road